All right, let's stand up. Let's stand up. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for this morning and time to be together with brothers and sisters. And Lord, in this moment, we pray, Father, that you open our hearts and minds, and that our hearts and minds may be filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit may work and transform us more into your image. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. There is a story in Acts 16. And if you know anything about Acts 16, Acts 16 is the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey in which he and Silas will meet Timothy, but also be blocked from entering Asia. Paul will receive a vision from a Macedonian man calling him to the Macedonian area. And it's on this trip while leaving Troas where Paul will enter into the town of Philippi, what Luke will call in Acts 16, a leading city of the district of Macedonia. Paul's time in Philippi will be, like most of Paul's trips, incredibly eventful. Paul will encounter Lydia and her household by the river, and it's there when Lydia will listen and accept the gospel of Jesus as preached by Paul. Lydia's house will then become a base for Paul and Silas for the next few days, while they're hanging out in the town of Philippi. And it's in Philippi, a few days later, that Paul will run into a girl possessed by a spirit, as Luke tells us in Acts 16, 16. This girl and her current situation of possession, well, she's being misused and abused by others in the city. Luke tells us that there are men using her demonic power to gain wealth off of her. She is a slave both in the spirit's possession, but also in these men's possession as well. The girl's life is chaotic, and we see the story beginning in Acts 16, 16. This story begins to create this like snowball of chaos, which will envelop Paul as well. Paul will finally, at some point in verse 18, exercise the spirit after many days and finally coming to his wits end. As as we see later, he says, Paul's annoyed. However, knowing that no good deed ever goes unpunished, Paul and Silas will be flogged and imprisoned by the town magistrate. And unjustly, yes, but you see Paul has ruined something. He's ruined a stream of income for a certain group of people. They made money off the girl's chaos, both internal and external. And all of that was taken away by Paul. So Paul and Silas, if they're going to create chaos, they deserve their own chaos, right? So Paul and Silas get, Paul and Silas get flogged. And, and yet at the end of the story, while Paul and Silas are in prison, with everything else that has happened to them, we read in verse 25, what are they doing? Because you do this in jail. You just pray and sing. But the story's not quite over there. An earthquake occurs as they're singing, and the jailer prepares to fall on his sword because chaos has a way of us thinking that there's no other way out. 
until he hears the voice down the hall of the jail. And you kind of get the sense in verse 28 that there's not really any tension in this voice. It's Paul's voice. And instead of running away from the mess and the chaos, there is Paul and Silas sitting in the midst of the chaos at peace. A story of chaos in Philippi, a story of chaos in the lives of so many people, including Paul and Silas. And you have this little moment in verse 28 where Paul and Silas are just singing. Not running away, which is easy to do, but still there. Ten years later or so, Paul will pen this letter to the church in Philippi, our reading for today. In the closing paragraphs, Paul will encourage the members to what? He will encourage them to peace. Paul speaks to a In verse 7, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I have to think, as as this was being read, and this is all conjecture on my part, of course, that as Paul is pinning these words, his memories are being flooded with this whole incident in Philippi. I imagine the community there in Philippi, when they hear this being read, are reminded of the stories of Paul's adventures in the city. When the community is looking around at one another, wondering what kind of peace is Paul talking about here? A peace that surpasses everything. What kind of peace is he talking about? Some of the founding members, maybe even Lydia herself, begin retelling the story of Paul's time in Philippi. Maybe even reminding old Utica and Syntyche of these stories. Because there seems to be a bit of chaos brewing within the Philippi church word chaos for most of us it's not a word we really like i mean who really likes chaos in here who is really hoping when you leave church today i'm really hoping sunday is chaotic for me anybody like boy i just hope nothing goes right no you're not well then you're like everyone else because peace sounds pretty good does it not yet have you noticed in your life I know I'm noticing it more in mine lately, that it doesn't take much to spend your life into turmoil. You know what I mean? It doesn't take much for your life to spin into chaos. Like Paul in Philippi, when we read the the story, we noticed just how little it took for any one situation to move from very static to very chaotic. The day is going on fine until, you know, that phone call you receive. Or you get a diagnosis. Or your AC goes out. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Or you decide to get on your device and start reading the internet. It doesn't take much. You wake up thinking, this day is going to be great. And then the kids wake up. It doesn't take much to throw off your day. And if you're like me, the minute the day is thrown off, I can be not a very pleasant person to be around. It's just one of those things. But but when we read the story of Acts 16, when we read the story of, of Philippi, I want us to notice something about Paul. He never gets caught up in the chaos of the moment. 
In fact, instead of Paul living into the chaos, which is easy to do, Paul finds moments to actually quiet the chaos. He brings healing to a girl trapped by a spirit and used by others. And later will bring healing to a jailer who doesn't know any other way out. Where chaos can be an accelerant, where the outside influences in our lives can be an accelerant to our way of being, Paul stands not away from the chaos. Notice Paul doesn't run away. What does Paul do? He stands in the middle of it and brings peace. It's not that chaos can't touch Paul, because it does. Again, Acts 16, 18, notice in the midst of this, Luke says it, Paul is incredibly annoyed by the moment. He got annoyed by the events over and over. But notice what comes out of Paul, what flows through Paul. It's not a, it's not a reaction in which the chaos wins. It is a peace that flows from Paul into the girl. Paul offers peace to a girl who never knew peace. The reaction is the most astounding part to it. When chaos is interrupted, it attempts to try to get louder. You know what I mean? When you try to interrupt chaos, something else chaotic seems to happen. Chaos is a thing. And we can get used to it really fast. Where life and community and others are just chaotic. Have you ever noticed, we get really kind of just immune to it or used to it happening. We just expect it to happen. And in fact, there is this whole discipline, a whole science created around chaos. Have you heard of it? It's actually called chaos theory. There is a theory behind chaos. It is this. Chaos theory is the science of surprises of the and I'm using, if you may understand it better than me. Chaos theory is a science of surprises, of the nonlinear and the unpredictable. It teaches us to expect the unexpected. In other words, it is a study of just how fragile stability can be within systems. And honestly, within life itself. It can just take one thing to throw everything off. To push us away from peace. And here's the thing. Chaos sustains itself on more chaos. Finding those things to which we are not prepared for or desired. It feels like we are living in a chaotic and unpredictable time, does it not? I mean, tell me, tell me I'm not lying here. It feels like we're just living in a time of chaos. And almost a time in which we've gotten used to it. And if chaos feeds on chaos, then it needs something that can be a disruptor to it. It needs an anomaly in the system. It needs something that can wire, it needs to wire us for chaos. Chaos needs for us just to get used to it. Just to expect it. Just to think, this is my, my, our, we're, whatever, our state of being. This is just what we have to deal with. What we have to live with. To the point where if it can wire us that way, it can make us numb to the situations around us. It can make us numb to how we react. It can make it okay for us to treat people a certain way or talk to people a certain way because you don't know how chaotic my life is. And we can read Acts 16 
at just what chaos does to a group. Get this. It causes them to abuse and use others. It causes them to turn on those who are trying to help. It causes us to see relationships as either transactional, a gain, or a loss. We look at relationships through an ROI kind of lens. Chaos causes us to harm those standing in our way and those different than us. Chaos creates a mob mentality. When we read in Acts 16, all it takes is these guys to get mad that, you know, Paul decided to exercise a girl for the entire town to get mad at Paul and Silas. It doesn't take much. Chaos causes a stress on our lives in which we can think there is no way This is the first century, and I would say it sounds pretty similar to the 21st century. Mob mentality, making us view others in a certain kind of way. I was reading this week about the rise in bullying within schools and social groups. And in the past five years, there has been a constant rise in the amount of reported bullying that occurs in the lives of teens. The number has increased to 40% of teens have experienced some kind of bullying with almost half of that occurring online. Cyberbullying. It seems that our devices and our social media feeds have allowed us to have a kind of, and I've called this before, but have kind of a keyboard courage. It's given us this ability to have a courage that we could say what we think we could say to anybody as long as we have the keyboard in front of us. Things we might not otherwise say to people or a person, we now feel at liberty liberty to say. Hurtful, despicable, and demeaning actions from behind the screen and on the keyboards of our devices. And chaos plays well when we are behind a well-lit screen. As one writer states, the rise of social media has scaled up our ability to express contempt and vitriol and act as a de-individuated lump in mass with astonishing efficiency. And he goes on to say this, and this one's the one that really got me. Christians have not only been caught up in the maelstrom of polarization, but in many cases, we've become its chief participants. The one place in which Paul speaks of peace. The book in which we read that speaks of peace. And what we find ourselves, social media has even caused us to be creators of chaos in other people's lives and our own. Chaos has a way of creating and causing us to be able to see others around us as the worst people. Or even more, caused us to see that Uh, Those people are the creators of chaos. When chaos is all around you, as we read in Acts 16, what do we notice? Well, Philippi is already chaotic, as we're beginning to see, and now we see that Paul and Silas come in, and they're the ones blamed for the chaos when the chaos has already been there, but you always need a scapegoat to say they're the problem. And we have a tendency of doing that. Chaos feeds on chaos. If we are in chaos, then so should others. Because, you know, it's their fault. They should feel it too. Because misery loves company. And chaos loves division. And in the end, that's what chaos does. It divides. It rewires us to believe this is how it's supposed to be. Always tense. Always stressful. And always divisive. It's just what it is. That's what we say now. It's just what it is. And yet... Paul writes this thing. Paul writes 
that we actually have a different life, that we actually live into a different life. Paul speaks of a peace that isn't shaken in the midst of chaos, almost like, you know, I've heard this story before, a builder who builds his house upon a rock. The storms may come and they will, but the house isn't moved. It's in its secure place. What we see is this kind of peace is a safe harbor even for others. It brings healing and hope to the acts that chaos brings upon us. While chaos seeks to injure, peace restores people. Peace heals people. Peace is not some fleeting feeling that comes and goes on a whim and can be broken by the flap of a butterfly. You've heard of the butterfly effect? You know, a butterfly that flaps its wings and... Africa causes winds and weather to change in, in the North America, that kind of thing. This kind of peace Paul seems to be talking about can't be broken by even the flapping of a butterfly. No, this peace is firmly rooted in Jesus. And you remember when everything was going haywire for Jesus. It's the last part of the Gospels. The disciples had abandoned him. The mob had arrested him. And Pontius, standing before Jesus, reminded him that he's the one who held Jesus' life in his hands. And Jesus says this amazing thing. And that's not it. It's in John 19, not John 9. That's on me. But in John 19, verses 10 and 11, as Jesus is standing there amidst all of this that's going on with him, as Jesus has is, is, is got this kind of chaos swirling around him, this is what happens. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? Notice what Pontius says. I have the power to either bring you peace or cause more chaos. Like, I'm the one who can do that. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus answered him. You would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me to you, oh, me over to you, is guilty of a greater sin. The beauty of this is, as, as all of this is swirling around, Jesus speaks and is at peace with what's going on. Don't you know I have the power? Jesus is almost saying, that's cute. No, you don't. I'm, I'm here for a reason. Jesus in the midst of the chaos is the peace in the moment. And in the chaos, Paul stands with peace and brings healing in it. And that's what we got to remember. Peace is not something that comes easy. And peace is not uh, something that is just temporary. T peace is not. It is, but it's not what I think Paul is talking about here. Sometimes when we think of peace is, for parents, I know of kids, smaller kids, we're just looking for peace at the end of the night when the kids go to bed, are we not? And grandparents say amen, you do it too. We just hope for that little brief respite before we go to bed. I think peace is a little bit larger than that from what Paul is talking about. Peace brings redemption and reconciliation. Peace is what happens when people, places, and things are aligned and ordered in a way that God designed it. Full of significance and meaning, purpose and goodness. Peace in God is rooting our lives in the firm foundation that God is in the work of the middle, in the middle of everything. That even in the midst of our chaos, God is at work in it. So what can we do? 
we can stand secure. Chaos can't win. Peace doesn't come easy. And sometimes it's just easier to give into the chaos. Sometimes it's just easier to be part of the chaos. But if we're willing to stand in Christ, if we're willing to do as Paul asked, then peace has the power to rewire us in everything we do. Peace has the power to rewire us to turn to the one who gives peace instead of the screen that causes chaos. Peace comes when we can, as Paul says here, when we can rejoice. When we can realize that God is near. And we can go before God with all of our troubles. Peace comes when we can sing, we can rejoice, and we can stand in the presence of God. Peace is the ability to say this prayer. Maybe you've heard it before, but it's a prayer I say a lot. It's a prayer that just is very simple. It was a gift given to me by a, a, a professor of mine. But it's the ability to, in the middle of the day, say, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And say it over and over, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And to realize that when we say that prayer, that the one in which we root ourselves says, yes, yes, in the midst of your chaos, yes, have peace. Have peace that I'm in the middle of it. The peace of God is the mercy and gift of God that we desperately need in these times. And guess what? So do others. So why don't we try to sing a little bit today instead of picking up our device and wondering, who do I need to blame for the chaos that is in this world? And how can I contribute to it a little bit more? Maybe instead, we need to be the people who sing and who pray and to recognize the mercy of God in our life so that what we see in Acts 16, that we can be healers of others because that's what we're wired to be, the peace in the storm. Not saying the storm's not going to come. I wish I could say that. The storm's going to come. You can be either be the one who built the house on a firm foundation, or you can be the one who built the house, and we know the song, on the sand. And the thing about the sand didn't end very well. But if we can root ourselves in the presence of God, rejoice always. Pray to God with our worries and know that God will give us mercy through his mercy. Give us the peace that we need. Then we can be peace to so many people. We can be healers of the world, not contributors to the chaos of the world. And I think that's what we're called to be. Maybe your life is chaotic. Maybe you feel it and you need some peace. There are people here who will 
pray with you, who will stand with you in your chaos. Let us be peace for a little while for you if we have to. But come now as we stand and as we sing.